Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors and over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Hello and welcome to the Situation Report today. Very glad to have you joining me. This is the show where we do our very best every single episode to give you the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Stonlicker. I am your host. And today we have on a wonderful guest and we have for you a wonderful conversation. The question may be asked this way. In a world like the one we're living in, what should Christians do? How should Christians act? How should Christians respond to, or we might use the phrase, engage with culture? What should we do? And we have this conversation a lot on this show, but in today's interview with Dr. Spencer, we really get to the heart of this. And uh, I'm so glad to have had the conversation, but so thankful for his ability to drive right to the heart of this issue and how we as Christians should live Biblically, understanding discipleship, understanding what it is to stand firm on the truth while also engaging culture. My guest today is Dr. James Spencer. Dr. Spencer is the president of the D.L. Moody Center located in Massachusetts. He's the author of a book entitled, which he talks about a little bit today, Christian Resistance, Learning to Defy the World and Follow Christ. Wonderful conversation, and you are going to want to follow him when we're done uh, having this interview. And uh, I hope that you'll enjoy this conversation with Dr. James Spencer. Dr. Spencer, thank you for joining me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Let's uh, let's start, if you wouldn't mind, just take a few minutes and, and kind of Give us your background, where you came from. Um, You've been involved in this arena for a long time, but uh, what's your story of faith and how you got involved in this and then the work of uh, the D.L. Moody Center? Yeah, so uh, I actually uh, grew up uh, in a small town in central Illinois. Uh, my, uh, my, My faith background is actually Lutheran. I grew up Lutheran, but really wasn't, like I like to say, I would have been a nun. Uh, I would have been an unaffiliated Christian at this point, uh, had it not been for Campus Crusade for Christ and really my my girlfriend, now wife, in college. Uh, She realized when I was in my sophomore year of college that I really wasn't a Christian, uh, that I'd just been sort of going to church. And she drove me to Campus Crusade meetings. That's where I got saved. And then over the next several years, I went through a discipleship process where People were trying to help me understand or really knock some sense into me and help me realize what it meant to commit to Christ and commit to following Christ. Uh, From there, uh, it was actually a a gentleman who was discipling me my senior year of college, and he came to me and said, hey, James, um, you're too hard-headed for anybody to really teach you anything. You need to learn these things on your own. (laughs) And so he's the one who suggested, he said, you should go to seminary. And so uh, I don't know what he had against seminaries that he was going to sick me on them. But uh, I ended up going to seminary. I earned a Master of Divinity degree. And uh, at, toward the end of that, I, you know, my, one of my faculty members was saying, you know, James, what do you want to do uh, after your MDiv? And I said, well, I, I'm going to go pastor. And he said, you shouldn't pastor. Uh, you're, not, you're not ready to pastor. <laughs> good, good, <laughs> so, good. Yeah. 
And so uh, I ended up going on for a, another MA and a PhD, um, spent a lot of years in higher education administration, and then ultimately sort of stepped away from that and uh, needed some, some time away from uh, the throes of higher ed and started working for the D.L. Moody Center. And the D.L. Moody Center is an organization dedicated to inviting people to consider the life and faith of D.L. Moody. And uh, that's exactly what I did when I came here. Uh, when I moved into the D.L. Moody Center, I knew very little about D.L. Moody. And I started reading through his letters and papers in our digital archive project. And what I found there was somebody who had, you know, a fraction of the theological training that I'd had the privilege to get, but who spoke with others about his faith and, and spoke his faith in those letters in a way that I wasn't. Mm -hmm. And it's just really convicting and really refreshing to see someone who every aspect of his language almost expressed his deep belief in Jesus Christ. And so it was through reading D.L. Moody's letters and really investigating his life and just doing what the D.L. Moody Center asked people to do, you know, um, inviting them to consider the life and faith of D.L. Moody. I had this time of real spiritual refreshment and a desire to um, go back, not abandon my theological training, obviously, but to really be thinking about how to make this practically oriented yeah. into the church. What does it look like for us to grow spiritually? And how does discipleship really work in today's world? And so that that's just a little bit about my story, where I came yeah. from, and what we do. Yeah, that's good. Um, man, there's a lot of parts of that. Uh, Campus Crusade is is one of those organizations that, uh, man, if you spend enough time in Christianity and talk to enough people, they've been touched by Campus Crusade somehow. It's crazy. Yeah. My parents talk about that, even as part of their you know faith mm -hmm. story, and so many other people. And now, I mean, recently, I've taken trips with uh, Campus Crusade or Crew as they are really continuing that mission. So it's amazing to see yeah. and understand that work. But that kind of goes to D.L. Moody as well, right? Is is you you talk to anyone long enough, you're going to find a connection to D.L. Moody somehow. <laughs> um, I uh, am working through the book Experiencing God, again, by uh, Henry Blackaby. Yeah. And uh, just yesterday, the, the section I was in, he was telling D.L. Moody's story again. And, and uh, that question that was raised to him, or statement, I guess, that was made to him, the world has yet to see what God could do with uh, a man fully devoted to him or however that was made. Yeah. And yep. uh, he, he said, I'll, I'll be that man. I'll, I'll go ahead and do that. Um, yeah. What an amazing testimony. And, and to hear you talk about his really lack of formal education and the impact profoundly he's had on the world. What from his story, I think about that and how he had to work through that practically. Like, what, is this under, what does this yeah. mean, this Christianity, and how can I speak to people who aren't necessarily the most educated people in the world? That's right. How has that carried through even to the work that you guys are doing now to understand the connection between Christianity and just practical living? Well, I think there were a couple things that really resonated with me when I started reading through D.L. Moody's work and thinking about it in terms of modern day. The first thing was he actually talks a fair bit about people being distracted from the work of God. He mm. really believed that, and, and he says something like this, I'll paraphrase him, but he says, you know, until the rank and file uh, Christian in all of these different churches get to the work of the kingdom, it's not going to be built well or correctly. And mm. so he really believed deeply that the rank and file Christians were crucial to the work of the kingdom, that this wasn't up to just the spiritual leadership. And that oftentimes the church was being distracted by the issues of the day. And what he wanted them to sort of pull back into wasn't that he wanted them to ignore the issues of the day. What he wanted was for them to seek first Christ's kingdom and his righteousness and then let, the, let those other things follow. 
And so he had this real centered nature to him about the gospel needs to be the primary thing, the first thing, not the only thing, but it needs to be the orienting center. And, and so that really resonated with me. And I, I think as we look out on today's world, uh, what we really see is the potential for a lot of distraction. Yeah. You know, we see uh, the, the wealth and the worries of the world distracting God's people from discipleship all the time. And so I, I think that aspect of D.L. Moody's message, which isn't, you know, sort of his primary, hey, here's the gospel, this is an evangelistic task or what have you. You know, he really had a discipleship orientation to him, a desire to see God's people working toward the building of the kingdom. And I mean, that's why he started schools. That's why he um, had summer conferences in Northfield. He really was trying to uh, cultivate in the church uh, more and more believers doing this work. And so that's an aspect that we've very much carried over. I think the other one that, that really resonates with me is just a simple framework for understanding what it's going to take, the prerequisites almost, to changing the world, which was you realize that the world is the world and the people in it are ruined by sin, that we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and that we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And without those three things as prerequisites, the world is not going to get any better. Yeah. And so we have to, we can't depend on moral frameworks. We can't depend on worldly solutions. We can't fix what is a human problem with a human solution. In other words, we need that divine intervention. We need that revelation. We need that regeneration. And that was really core to some of the things that he taught. Hey, Situation Report, Jeremy Stolnicker here. We've all heard about DC politicians and their incredibly well-timed stock trades. Well, according to veteran trader Ross Givens with Traders Agency, It's all true. These politicians have made absolute fortunes for themselves trading stocks. Ross has revealed there's a largely unknown legal loophole that allows regular people, patriots like you and me, to see when these elite insiders are buying up stocks and how to follow their lead to incredible profit opportunities. Now, Ross has been doing this for a long time. He's a former vice president of investment management at J.P. Morgan Chase. He's been trading stocks for almost 20 years and teaching clients how to trade their own money for almost a decade. And we've just been blown away by everything Ross has revealed, including exactly what this trading loophole is and how it works, how he's learned from these insiders for nearly a decade, and how the stock picks have gained 88% in seven days, 234% in eight weeks, and even 1,787% in two years. Go to theinsidertrades.com to start following these insiders yourself and get a free stock pick of one of the hottest symbols that is seeing huge insider buying right now. That website is theinsidertrades.com to see when these political insiders are buying stocks and get your free stock pick. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. How do you um, kind of reconcile what you just said with there's almost a debate within Christianity about what engaging culture looks like. So it, it seems to me that there are people on one side that would say it's all about the gospel. It's all about, you know, as you mentioned, discipleship. We need to focus on the word of God. We need to focus on biblical literacy. We need to focus on that and let culture do what's, what it's going to do. So almost sure. divorcing itself from culture. And then there's yeah. the other side that is we need to be um, 
very capable of explaining in gospel terms to culture why what they're doing is wrong. We need to engage in culture politically. We need to engage in, in all of these other issues. And that's where the church should focus. And salt and light means we should be completely engaged in that. And I have felt that there's a middle ground that really God calls us to, and we see this even you know throughout the, the New Testament, particularly as Paul talks about these things, that it really is living out the gospel in our culture. That's the engagement. But we we seem like we're following on one side or the other. Can you you talk about how those reconcile? Uh, the way I tend to see it is, is um, I would point to the counsel that Jesus gives his disciples. And he says, I want you to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Yeah. When he's saying that to them, we, we, we quote that all the time, right? Wise as serpents, innocent as doves. But what he's saying to them is, I want you to learn to survive the world so that you can bear witness for me. If you read that whole passage, this is what they're doing. They're surviving the world to bear witness. And I tend to think that's the right orientation for us to be engaging culture. We are to be surviving the world, <laughs> surviving the culture, yeah. retaining our shape within the culture, and being Christian within the culture so that we can bear witness for Christ. That is our, our animating spirit, so to say, right? It, it is ultimately to bear witness to Christ. Now, where I would tend to sort of paint that middle ground is this. I think that there is, has been a strong emphasis on sharing the gospel verbally. The, uh, you know, maybe the verbal proclamation of the gospel. And it's extremely important. And then there's been this other side that says, well, we should embody the gospel, we should be in the place and show people what it means to follow Christ. And, and what we have to be able to do is we have to do both together. Like, we don't get to choose. We have to embody the gospel wherever we are. We have to focus on it the way I like to phrase it. We need to be Christian first no matter what, mm. which means we don't compromise. We don't, we don't change our shape for the world. We don't allow the pressures of the world to um, conform us to the world systems. We're always seeking to be increasingly conformed to the image of Christ. But that, to me, is the middle ground. It's we are wise as serpents and innocent as doves, so that when we're in situations, we're always witnessing for Christ. We're always bearing witness to Him. Yeah. And that, to me, is that, that, that space that we occupy. We have to engage in the culture. I'm not one that says, right. I think we need to change the culture. Um, that, that's just not, that's not what I see in Scripture. What I do see in Scripture, however, and, I, and I'll, I'll kind of close it off with this, I, I think sometimes what we have to realize is that we have the church and we have Christ, and, and they are, let's say, built to do something very particular. Christians are the only people on the planet who can proclaim Jesus is the Lord, share the gospel, get people saved. You know, uh, like, we're the only organization that does that. We're the only people who do that. Right. Then you have government, you have organizations, you have different, you know, other sort of intervening uh, structures in the world. And they have their place too. The government is actually there to help restrain evil, to enact justice. Right. But where we need to be careful of is that we don't expect more of it than it can actually provide. Because when we expect more of it than it can actually provide, number one, we'll be disappointed. <laughs> But number two, yeah. we tend to start to chisel away at what the church should be doing and giving that over to mm. another structure, giving that over to another entity. Yeah, that's good. And so we just have to be careful that we're um, 
we're making sure we, we don't expect more of the different pieces that we interact with, the different spheres that God has set up. And we, we just allow them to do what they do and give them their appropriate boundaries. And because when we when those when those spheres tend to try to overreach their boundaries, they get a little weird. <laughs> you know, things get strange. And when Christians start to believe that they should be doing more and more and more and more, I really think yeah. we start losing sight yeah. of our mission. Yeah, that's good. I man, that's so good. It it feels to me sometimes like on either extreme, at either extreme, there's almost a um, the word is the right word is not hiding, but a hiding. It, it's almost an isolation. I can go into it's just about the gospel all the time. It's just about this all the time. I need to ignore what's happening outside of the church church doors. And it's almost a, a, a hiding, right, going into the convent, yeah. so to speak, or whatever. And then on the other side, it can become that as well. Well, I'm so focused on engaging culture that I'm, you know, watering down the message of the gospel, right. or I'm, um, you know, I'm taking all things to all men to a, a strange extreme where it means I do things that would not reflect what's in the Bible at all or what God would want for me at all. And it's, it's just, if I understand you, it's just sincere... Christian living, <laughs> rooted in the Word of God, understanding yeah. the gospel, its power in my life, and my call to live that out. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when I, one of the travesties that I see in the church, one of the things that I'm really concerned about, that I'm passionate about, I really believe that discipleship will open up opportunities for us beyond anything we could ever ask or think. And so if we're, at, if we're looking at the world, and I say to myself, in my own strength, how could I affect the world? Yeah. My options are going to be pretty limited, <laughs> right? And I'm going to be left to engage in the mechanisms that the world has set up for me to try to change things. And what I think we, yeah. we sometimes miss is that if we focus in on discipleship, there may be opportunities that we would never come up with in our own wit or wisdom <laughs> that God is going to provide for us to speak yep. into that world and allow it to be transformed by him and we get to participate in that and so our basic role is hey let look let's just be disciples of jesus and if we focus on that i think those opportunities will be there a lot of times that's framed as no you're saying you should be isolationist i'm not saying that yeah. being a disciple of jesus demands in my mind that we visit the widow and the orphan in their affliction it's not a disengagement mm -hmm. from the world it's a deeper right. engagement with the world. It's an it's an in reality engagement with the world. And so, shameless plug, uh, you know, I wrote a book called Christian Resistance, <laughs> and uh, and the way I usually describe <laughs> Christian Resistance is um, it's like a dam. You know, dam is built to hold back water, and that water is exerting a great deal of pressure on the dam, but it's in touch with the water. The two have to have contact mm. with one another. But the dam doesn't bend, good. right? It, it, it has a shape, and it refuses to give in to the pressure of the water. And if it does, then you have sort of a, a catastrophe, right? And so, yep. you know, that yeah. function of the dam is really the way I picture the function of the church. We have to be the dam. We have to hold our shape regardless of the pressure, right? The pressure to conform to a pragmatic you know, sort of strategy, the pressure to conform to, um, you know, some sort of ethic that we don't agree to, the, you know, whatever it is, yep. there's a million pressures. Yep. But for us, we say, no, the way of Jesus is the way. 
there, there's no real other choice here. And so I'm going to be really yeah. stubborn about that. And no matter what these pressures are, I'm going to trust that even if it doesn't make sense, obedience is always the right strategy. That's good. Man, that's so good. Um, can you talk about discipleship a little bit? So you mentioned the importance of discipleship, but can you define what that is and what that you know, practically looks like? I was reading a book last week, and, and in it the author was talking about discipleship specifically, but then, again, to the extremes. Some churches view that as a class or a course. Other view that as you know, very little instruction but a lot of mentorship. How do you view discipleship? When you talk about that, what exactly do you mean? Yeah, so I, I tend to divorce the mechanisms for it. Oh, you know, sort of. Um, yeah. You know, if we think about teaching a class or going doing the mentorship, I think both of those can be um, ways to cultivate discipleship. But in its basic form, uh, discipleship involves just two things, and I'll take them right from the Great Commission in Matthew twenty-eight. Um, it is number one, a deep, full life commitment to following Jesus Christ, and that's done in baptism. Right. That's why baptism is there in the in the Great Commission. You know, go ye go ye therefore and make disciples, baptizing them. That baptism, as we find out in uh, Romans six, right, specifically Romans six four, is is symbolic of a being buried with Christ. In other words, we're so committed to this that we are surrendering our entire life, and we're willing to say, yeah, just in the way that Jesus died to the world, we're going to die to the world with him. That's that radical commitment. So it, it's that first radical commitment. And then second, it's a learning to. And I think we need to, we need to um, distinguish between learning about and learning to. Yep, yep. Right? Learning about is, um, is great. Like, I did a lot of learning about, <laughs> you know, um, you, when you earn a PhD, you, you learn about God. Yeah. You learn right. about the Bible, right? But then there was a whole separate you know, sort of move you have to make to learn to observe all Christ commanded, learn to obey all the God, all the instruction God has given us. That is the root of discipleship. And so I think, you know, at its basic level, here's what I would say. Um, discipleship is about Christians reading God's word and deciding to do the little steps of obedience day in and day out that are going to allow God to show up in their lives. God's always present around us. When I think when we obey him, um, just like in Malachi 3.10, it's one of my favorite passages, I talk about it a lot. Um, the, the, disciple, or the, the Israelites are holding back food from God. They're having some uh, trouble with famine. They're having shortages. And so they decide that it's, it's better for them to hoard their food than to give their sacrifices at the temple. And God comes to him and says, wrong move, wrong strategy. <laughs> you want to solve your food problem? What you'll do is you'll give food to me as right. I've asked you to. Right. And then I'll right. meet your needs beyond that. And so it's about trusting God by testing God, trusting God by obeying God. And I think that as we take those small steps of obedience, God will show up and we'll be in a mindset and a framework and an orientation to recognize that he's there. That's what I think discipleship is. What is the church's role in that? So that's, you know, very personal. I need to, yeah. through baptism, declare my you know commitment to a life of faith and a life of pursuing God, and then I need to daily 
you, you know, remake that commitment, if you will, or re-engage with that yeah. commitment to pursue God, to obey him, to live for him. What's the church's responsibility in that? So I think the church is, you know, when, when, G, when Jesus gave the great commission to his disciples, it was functionally to a group of people who had already gone through discipleship themselves who are now to sure, go out and sure. make disciples. And so I think as a, as a whole, not as a church leadership or as a, you know, an elder board or anything like that, but the body of Christ as a whole is a community of people who are dedicated to living by the book, right? We are all going mm -hmm. together, observe yep. this together. And so I think that can take on the form of things that you see, you know, with Paul and Timothy, right? Having that sort of mentored relationship. I think you can take on things like, um, you know, Ezra, when Ezra teaches um, the, the law to Israel, and there's an instructional component. But I also really am compelled by what Paul talks about in Romans 1. Uh, he's going to go visit the church in Rome, and he says, I, I've longed for a long time to come to you so that I can impart some spiritual mm -hmm. gift to you. And then he backtracks, and he says, not only that, but so that I could benefit from your faith as well. And so here's the Apostle Paul basically going into a church and saying, I know I have a contribution that I can make. And so there's this act of service, an act of, um, it, it's not a false humility, in other words. He knows he's bringing something to the yeah. table. But then he doesn't discount what the church can give to him. And so as we look at it, the church needs to be that body, uh, a reciprocal body, where we are encouraging one another, teaching one another, mentoring one another, rebuking one another, holding one another accountable. There's this whole series of relationships that we should be in in the church to help form and shape us as disciples, but also to form and shape others as disciples. On MyPillow's 20-year anniversary, with over 80 million MyPillows sold, Mike Lindell at MyPillow wants to thank each and every one of you by giving you the lowest price in history on their MyPillows. You will receive a queen-size MyPillow for $19.98, Regular price is $69.98 and just $10 more for a king size. You'll receive deep discounts on all MyPillow products, such as bed sheets, mattress toppers, pet beds, mattresses, my slippers, and so much more. This is the time to try out some of their other amazing products you've had your eye on. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio podcast square and use promo code SITREP. To receive this amazing offer on the queen size my pillow for 19.98, or call 800-870-0283. This offer comes with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. It's time to start getting the quality sleep you deserve. Go to mypillow.com and use promo code SITREP, or call 800-870-0283. Man, that's so good um, and so helpful. I there's a lot of questions I'd like to ask connected to that, but let me bring it back around. <laughs> I, I've got so much going on in my head. Man, that's such a great explanation of that. And I've been involved kind of in, in both sides of church discipleship programs <laughs> where it was very much a curriculum and you walk through that. And I don't think that's, yeah. you know, that's Bible knowledge. It's not wrong. But right. to make that the beginning and end of discipleship is is definitely not the right, right. thing to communicate to a new believer. So I'll say it that way. But then the other side of, you know, hey, I'm here if you need me, give me a call, is, is also not right. And it's just, it's that sincere walk um, in community. Man, what a fantastic explanation. Um, 
So I said we'd get to a question before we even started. I haven't even gotten to the first question, but we're almost done. So <laughs> let me let, let me ask let me ask the first question now as we conclude. With all of that being said, and I, I wholeheartedly agree. I, I I absolutely believe that the answer for the world is the gospel. Yeah. That um, you know that was the declaration that Jesus Christ made. That was the message of the apostles. That's what they gave their lives for. We see that throughout Scripture. Uh, the community of the local church. You know, yeah. we're told that Christ gave His blood for that, and and that is something we see modeled throughout the New Testament, and and, and so much of that. That's where we are, and yeah. in that, I feel sometimes like I've said I feel a lot today, but I feel sometimes as though I want to isolate myself because the world is so upside down and so out of control, and there is is such a lack of trust in institutions, whether they be government institutions, family institutions, certainly churches, that I just want to pull in. I want to gather my kids around, and we'll do devotions around the table, and that's going to be you know, where I live. <laughs> and, and, and there's not a lot of hope in that type of life, though. And you know, we have the Bible telling us to, um, you know, the dominion mandate from the Old Testament. Uh, we see... Um, the apostles definitely taking spiritual ground and going into places that were opposed to the truth and establishing churches and communities of believers. So we see progress being made, and yet often it feels like there's no progress being made. For a believer, for a Christian who believes in the gospel, who understands the necessity of discipleship, believes that Jesus is the answer, where do we find our hope in a world that is as out of control as the one we're living in right now? So, I'm going to, I'll throw out a couple things here. Um, number one, I don't think a lack of hope is um, the worst thing in the world. Um, and, and what I'll say is, it, it's like this. Um, Elijah is fleeing from Jezebel, and he, he gets to this point in the desert where he's basically run a marathon, he's really tired, and he cries out to God, and he says, Lord, I'm the only one left. And he is in despair, he's without hope. And God comes to him and says, uh, Elijah, you're not the only one left. There are 7,000 others who have not bowed the knee to Baal. There are 7,000 true believers out there in Israel, and this remnant is going to do X, Y, and Z. And he, he, he really lets Elijah off the hook. He tells him how you know he's going to give Elisha to him, what he's going to take care of as far as you know this evil king who's been chasing Elijah around and you know, all this kind of stuff. And so yep. Elijah has yep. this moment where he feels completely isolated, completely alone, completely without hope. He doesn't see how all this stuff is going to come together. And God says, Elijah, don't forget I'm here. Right? Yeah. Don't forget that you have such, you know, it's like we live our lives. It's almost like we're looking at the world through the bottom of a well. You know, we can see the sky above us. We maybe see a bird pass occasionally. Yeah. But, I mean, that's our vision of it. It's, it's a real tunnel vision of things. And God sees the world in its broad spectrum. He knows everything. And, and so I don't think that lack of hope is something that we need to be concerned about. Yeah. I do think it's something that we need to recognize much of our lack of hope comes from our own limitations. Mm. And as we you know, sort of lean back in and depend on God, we can have a renewed hope in that. So I, I would good. say that's the number one. Um, there, there, the, our, our despair comes because I think we have that limited vision. Now, as we think about, okay, what is that hope really? How do we, how do we get that hope back? What does that look like? I still think it's found in discipleship. And, and, I'll, and I'll say it like this. 
we are we are sort of coordinated in a number of ways. I think the easiest way to illustrate this in today's world is something like social media or politics, right? All the conversation goes one direction, right? And you can get kind of stuck in your little bubbles. And now all of us are thinking the same way about this. And we're acting the same way about this. And all the solutions tend to hover around the same ideas. And even if you have your own thought in your head, you're like, hmm, can't really say that because that's going to come with some negative social consequences. Like, I don't want to say that uh, Like people are going to cancel yeah. me or they're going to be really frustrated. <laughs> they're not going to understand right. or whatever it is. Right. right. And so we're coordinated into this box in this bubble. Discipleship should be our mode of coordinating all Christians together. Mm. That is where we find hope. Just as Elijah was alone in that desert and thought there was nobody else around. Right. We don't have that problem anymore. Because as we each commit to discipleship, you know, like, I know you're committed to discipleship. And so I am more emboldened to do it because I know other people are doing it with me. Right, right. And we have this sort of shared language and this shared mission and the shared set of practices that we can all engage in. And so we're not alone. It solves the loneliness problem. And I think as we, as we engage in that discipleship again, what we see is we see God show up. That these, these momentary emergencies that we run into, many of which are real problems that we don't want to ignore, yep. but they should not dominate the landscape. Right? If we go back to that sort of tunnel vision analogy, it's almost like you know the, this problem covers up the hole of the well, <laughs> and so we can't see anything else anymore. And we have to really avoid that. These things yeah. need to sort of come into our field of vision but still allow us to see what God is doing in the world and see how God is handling things. We almost need to look past them to him. And, and so discipleship, I think, helps to accomplish all of that. And I, I know that seems like kind of a trite answer, but the reality is I think it's the answer the Bible would give is that when we're, when we're without hope, when we're experiencing suffering, when we're experiencing tribulation, when everything feels like it's falling apart, we need to remember, as one of my favorite passages, Hebrews uh, 12 talks about, we are grateful that we are part of an unshakable kingdom. That's good. This world that we're in, it's shakable. Our kingdom is not shakable. And so that's where we locate our hope. Man, that's, uh, that's so good. I, I was Man, that's so good. I was talking to uh, an older Christian who had been involved in Christian work for many, many years. Uh, yeah. It's probably been over a year ago now. And I was in a group of, of men, and someone talked about, you know, brokenness and being broken. And I'm so broken. And, and this older man said, what do you mean you're broken? Are you a Christian? <laughs> and he's like, well, yes, I'm a Christian. I'm just so broken. He said, as Christians, we're not broken. We're just completely aware of our dependence on God. And I think that was his way of saying, you know, being without hope is not the worst thing in the world. It's just a recognition of yeah. how dependent we are on God. And really, if we look at it that way, it, it is a blessing. And it's it's something to be uh, almost cherished. Not that we want to be hopeless, but be aware of our dependence on an internal God. Um, Definitely. Man, yeah. that's great. Where can people um, get the book that you mentioned a little while ago in that shameless plug that you <laughs> shameless plug? You can re plug it, please, um, because I'd like the folks yeah. to be able to get that. And then where can they follow yeah. you on socials or, or wherever else you'd like to point them? Yeah, so they can get uh, the book. Uh, it's available on Amazon.com, but they can also go to my website, um, jamesgspencer.com. Uh, it's my own personal website, and you can find the book and, and kind of everything else that I'm doing there. Connect with me on Facebook and LinkedIn and all that kind of fun stuff. 
And Moody Center's web address is moodycenter.org. And we've got some fantastic downloadable resources there for folks. Um, our Go Dark Shine Bright program is, uh, we have a guide that helps people kind of disconnect from social media, helps them to step away from stories that are denying God and to embrace mm. what, you know, God's word is teaching them. That's a fantastic resource. So they can find that kind of thing at moodycenter.org or, like I said, at my website at jamesgspencer.com. Wonderful. Dr. James Spencer, thank you so much. Great conversation. Really appreciate it. Very helpful. And uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime. I'd be happy to. Thanks a lot for having me on. Yes, sir. Thank you. We were not made to live in isolation. Sadly, many of our veterans feel they need to fight their battles alone. This self-isolation has led to the staggering statistic of more than 20 veterans taking their lives every day. A lot of guys end up drinking. A lot of guys end up losing hope. Someone will go to the VA and they'll try to get, you know, prescription medications to help with PTSD. You know, they'll get pills for anxiety, they'll get pills because they can't sleep, now they'll get pills for depression before they know it. They're taking 12 different medications. And when it's not working out, these guys lose hope. And that's why there's 23 guys a day committing suicide. The mission of Mighty Oaks is to eradicate the veteran suicide epidemic and help our warriors change their legacies. As a result, We've been able to help over 4,000 veterans and first responders by equipping them with the tools they need to live the lives they were created to live. Everything they said just kept hitting me in the heart over and over and over again. It's like all the things that I didn't know that I needed to hear. And uh, I opened my heart to God that week, dude, and like, (laughs) I've been a different person ever since. Our faith-based, peer-to-peer approach has one of the highest success rates of any program available today, offering hope and understanding to those who need it most. We provide our programs and resources, including travel, at no cost to our warriors. I remember talking to a licensed social worker who actually handed me a pamphlet to Mighty Oaks. So I went. And I'm glad I did. By aligning their lives to biblical principles, These men and women are able to lead their families, their communities, and our nation. Our mission is to serve and restore our nation's warriors and families who have endured hardship through their service to America and to help them find new life purpose through hope in Christ. It's your generosity that can make a difference in the lives of the men and women who have fought for our country and our freedoms. Now that they're home, don't let them fight alone. Learn more at MightyOaksPrograms.org. Very grateful for that conversation with Dr. Spencer. Uh, please go and check out his website. You can find the uh, information about his book and all the connections to him. And then go to the website for the DL Moody Center, moodycenter.org. You will be helped there. Great resources for you there as well. If you're not yet subscribed to the show, please take a moment to subscribe. That would be fantastic. Share this content out with others. These are conversations that you need to be having, that others need to be having, and that will be edifying in your life in a culture that is so often confusing and upside down. Really appreciate you today taking the time to be with us and look forward to talking to you next time. We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. 
That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525.